For me, uh, making film is to open up discussion. And, and my dream is that the people who sit there and watch it are moved and are questioning themselves. They could be against what you know I make, but that there is some kind of a, that we take some subject there under the carpet, bring them out. Welcome to the Modern Films podcast. This is Notes on More Than Ever with writer-director Emily Artef in conversation with director Lisa Rovner and Eva Zvedenyuk from Modern Films. This film is so powerful and it really shook me to my core and it made me question everything. And I was just wondering about what you think the role of the filmmaker is. Is it to make people feel, to make people question, or is it something else for you? I was always a storyteller, even as a, as a teenager, as a child, I always loved telling stories. So it was a way of bringing these stories out <clears throat> with these new elements that I discovered of, of sound and light and music, actor. But more and more I realized um, it was subjects I wanted to, to discuss with people, with the audience, or I wanted them to discuss it. Of course, through a film, through actors, through dramaturgy, through sound music, you could make um, you could make it maybe easier for people to enter that than a book or uh, an article or or a reportage, you know. And through art, through filmic storytelling, I feel. I mean, I know myself that there are some films that you just don't forget, um, even if you saw them very young. They stay with you. What is one of those films from your childhood that you remember? Terms of Endearment, remember? Yeah. With Deborah uh, uh, Winger. I went to see that with my neighbors and their mother. And I remember crying so, 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 so much and coming out with it. My eyes were like puffy from the crying. And um, funny enough, it's about a woman dying. I never forgot the emotion I felt, especially um, her um, engaging with, on her deathbed with her very young children mm. and how amazing those actors, children actors were. Uh, they didn't want their mom to leave, yeah. And I, I think I'm, that I never forget, got that. It's not that it changed something in my life, um, but I never forgot that, yeah. Mine would it be, I think, Desperately Seeking Susan with Madonna. Really? I remember seeing it on television and just being so, um, yeah, I just will never forget how that film made me feel. It made me feel alive. It's Do you sad. know that I saw it like uh, four Recently. months ago again? Yeah. Because it's my, so good. My daughter, actually, I think it really aged badly. Really? I totally you disagree. Really? Yes, I just saw it recently as well. And I just thought, oh my God, I can't believe oh, the music how, is still oh. amazing. The acting is incredible. I mean, obviously it's like, Love it's chauffe. It's like yeah. over the top. Yeah. But I love the costume. I love the lighting. Like I love like the way it's filmed. I love the script. I love the story. I love the men. I, I this love story, the men in that this film. story is great, but I, because now I'm watching my daughter's twelve, so since like two years, you know, I want to. I'm watching films that I liked at the age of ten, eleven. So yeah. all these eighties films, yeah. Footloose, and, yes, and, and some of them really still work. Sixteen candles, Sla slap, yes, uh, Flashdance, horrible. I mean, some yeah. still work with time, yeah, and some not at all. Yeah. And I found funny enough. Uh, um, Susan, except that I love uh, um, Arquette. I love her, but I thought it was so 80, the way it was shot. Oh, totally. 
know? but yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, anyways, getting back to the film, yes. can you talk a little bit about the impulse or the origins of of this of this end of life story or of, or of this film in general? There's something about uh, this end of life phase that we're all going to experience uh, that has always uh, made me think as a child. You know, even the first time I remember exactly where I was when I thought, oh, my God, one day I won't be there and Emily will never be there again. It'll be never an Emily, never an Emily, never. An Emily. It'll be said, you know, and how it would make me think. And um, and also a story that happened to us where a dog that I think he lived with us, a, a abandoned dog that came to our garden uh, Belgium Shepherd very must have been beaten very 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 afraid and got and he lived with us about 10 years and he was very close to my mother got older and older one day he just disappeared and uh, I uh, we were we felt betrayed we didn't think it was we felt empty that somebody just disappears like that without saying thank you <laughs> without saying uh, uh, goodbye. And so uh, we, a uh, friend vet told us that he was, his ancestors were wolves and that he had the same pattern, but actually a lot of cats have that too. That they, when they feel it is their time to go, they choose and they leave to not make it more difficult actually on their loved ones, on the wolves, it's the pact, not put them in danger and also to leave quietly in peace and in dignity. I understood it and it touched me. And and actually yesterday in the, in our, in the Q&A that we had after the screening, there was a woman who said that in the Hindu religion, um, it's, uh, it's actually not frowned upon that the dying is allowed to say what he feels and says, I don't want the living in the room when I go to that that other world, as if I understood correctly, as respect to my life, I don't want them to remember me dead, but alive. Uh, and we're not that far from India, and that in our Western world, we just do not talk about it. And we do not allow the sick or the dying to talk about it. It's like, because we don't ask them how violent it is that we do not, that we just take all the decisions for them. We just impose our presence constantly. And that <clears throat> sick and dying people are, don't have the courage often and the energy to fight against our love, which is so powerful. Because they have the feeling that they already take too much space in our lives through their sickness. And also the fear of hurting saying, uh, I love you, but I want to be, I don't, uh, I don't want you to be in the same town. I want you to go home. So what you do, you wait till they go home to sleep when you're in the hospital, and then you go in peace. And as said, with this film, I'm not saying that this is the way it should be, like uh, in the Hindu religion. I'm saying that every human being is allowed to choose their way of living this last part of life. And that's what I'm hoping with this film, that we even discuss it. You just mentioned the fact that it took you 10 years to make this film. Did your understanding of the subject matter evolve 
both as you were writing, but also as you were filming, as you were watching the story play out with the actors? Very much so. You know, imagine 10 years, how much one grows as a human being um, and as, a, as an artist anyway. The film would have not been what it is now, and I am, I must say, very happy with it. In some ways, it's much better than I ever thought it would be because these, um, because these actors, what they brought, you know, Vicky Creeps, Gaspar Hullier, Björn Flaubert, they brought something that was, you know, not in the writing or even in my imagination. It was a tough film to make because um, a tough subject, not easy to get financed. Then trying to shoot it during this COVID time, very tough. So very tough to keep your actors when you do an art house film, very tough to keep them because you never know till very, very late if you get the green light, you know, and there's so many... Because something else might come up, a more lucrative job? Oh, yeah, that... because they get, they get, I mean, look at the actors I got, yeah. Vicky Grips works so much, you know. She works so much and she gets huge propositions. And she was already, you know, holding more than ever for four years. Yeah, she got the, we decided to do this together in 2018 years and we did it 221 so there's every day she gets a proposition it's always the fear when you do art house films oh, are we going to keep up and it's so annoying just like in tv you know pretty quickly yes or no green light in feature film you have to wait years in, in europe it's uh it's all public funding so you get this funding but this one you don't get this one you get but this one you don't get but it worked, and I and I had and I got these actors, and they um, and we had a very 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 uh, intense and uh, intimate time because of this COVID situation. Yeah. You mentioned in the Q and A yesterday about how um, you like involving the actors early on, and how different the two actors were yeah. in their collaboration with you. Could you talk talk a little bit more about that? For me, a script is a tool. It's a tool to really get to the core of what we want to say, of what I want to say. Now, if somebody thinks that this sentence or this word or this action will help it even more to get to where I want to go, then I'm taking it big time. Meaning what I do is I try to feed um, my actors, but also my team when I have as much as I can with a lot, with talking a lot with my sensations, with uh, my why I had these ideas, with films, with books, with thoughts. Um, I feed them, I feed them, I feed them. And so they really understand what I want to say with this film. And I love hearing what they have to say. I love the dialogue because then sometimes I just get even better ideas and think, oh my goodness, this is fantastic. If I have somebody like, by Vicky, it was, you know, three years. So I would always want to talk about Elaine, about the character. Or want to meet for coffee to talk about that. And also saying, yeah, I just had this new draft. Or I would send it to her. And I could tell that she was always fleeing. So when she came, we, when we met for coffee, she would always talk about other things. So for me, it was quite frustrating. It was annoying. But it was only when we were in the rehearsal process, two months, a month, 
before shooting that she said that I realized that Hélène, the character of Hélène, was much too heavy for her to keep with her, to think about her three years, to enter there, because she goes so deep in the character. She's so instinctive to have, it's almost like already having idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, already having sickness in her lungs when she's thinking about it, and already starting that. She didn't want that. Fair enough. Yeah. Plus she had other roles that she was doing in the middle. She's not going to be... Um, and I understand. I understood that when she said, she said, trust me, trust me. I got enough information and I'm going to do it. When I, it she's, she was saying, but it really is like that, that when I'm there, when I put the costume on, I have the makeup on, and I've done my work, it's really like that, that Elan comes. And it was like that. It was like that. Aileen came. You know, there's some actors, they know exactly, okay, what lo- what focal is that? What lens? What did, where are you doing that? Where's the light? Blah, blah, blah. She doesn't know nothing. She, does, she doesn't, she's, it's not she doesn't know because she is Aileen in that situation. So if the camera's on her or the camera's on the partner or on the carpet, it's the same thing because she's, of course she repeats the scene, but it's, and every time the scene is a little bit different because Time is different because the reaction of the partner is different because he does something that's different. And sometimes it's something that I didn't, that I didn't think worked. Then so she could, I mean, she still is an actress, so she could still change it, but it's still, so it was very interesting. Whereas Gaspar Uriel was totally different and actually more my style in the sense of he was very reactive. That when I sent a new version, he would read it pretty quickly and we would talk and he would have his notes and he would uh, think about it. And we talked even about the name of his character. And he said, ah, oh, it's kind of an old name. And then I said, okay, find your name. And he thought about, he baptized his character. And, and so he was very, very different. He was really into working, watching films. He, he was very happy that I sent him, he sent him stuff. What was the stuff that you sent to... Um, Gaspard Ulio and Vicky Creeps when they were asking for content. Well, actually, she never asked for anything. She <laughs> just asked for me to leave her alone. <laughs> and let's talk about life and, you know, uh, everything else, but not about uh, more than ever. I sent him a film uh, that came out two years ago, but it didn't probably come out because it was COVID. Supernova, it was called, with Colin Firth. And Tuski, Stanley uh, Tucci. Tucci. Um beautiful film about um, a gay couple. Uh, and he, Stanley Tucci, is dying, I think, of a tumor. And he's a writer, prolific writer, and trying to find words. And Colin Firth is, is actually mature, actually Gaspar, trying to deal with that in a very soft, uh, beautiful way. I remember sending him that and him being really touched by it. So you were just saying about how you, this idea, I'm just curious about your process. The more I um, I could do things beforehand, the better. Um, because on set, there's so much happening that there's not the concentration. I just really want them to be filled with 
the character and with everything, the backstory, the problems, the this and that of the character, where where they're going to, what they feel. I work a lot, first of all, with the main characters, always one-to-one, -one, and we go through everything. And we talk about everything, about why we want this, why, what they feel about the character. And then about the scenes. We go through every scene and we talk about what it means. And then I get them together and then we work on the together scenes together. And especially there, they could already talk and you could already see who's not on the same wavelength. We all have to be on the same wavelength, even if um, the characters aren't, of course. Yeah. So there's also, we all know what we're pretty much doing because then during the shoot anyway, I'm very open to, I want them to feel free. So if they, changed anything if they change it needs to have the psychological meaning and uh, and the atmosphere that I created or that I feel that needs to be there but to arrive there I'm fine for them to to find different ways I'm I, I love it actually when there is some room for improvisation mm -hmm. I love that it excites me if it's true if they're true they need to be so true and so understand what their character is that's my job and then we're ready. You talk about the film being an emancipation story, and I think that's a really interesting way of looking at this film. It's, uh, yes, it's really the emancipation of the, the sick or the dying, of us as humans being able to choose how we want to live on this planet and how we want to leave and as said in the beginning, we're just in our Western society are not, um, I mean, nobody stops us, but it is not a common thing that one is allowed to make that decision. We're called selfish in their way of uh, taking medication or not taking medication or being in the hospital or not. And so Hélène, uh, symbolizes the the sick uh, and the dying and she has to um, emancipate herself and it's hard she has to first of all she's lost she doesn't know yet what she wants because the burden of society doesn't give us that place not like she knows I want to be in the for you know I want to be in Norway I want this she doesn't it's like real work and we we don't know with her it's a real journey to find out what do I want? What do I feel? And then when she feels it, she feels really bad. Thinking, I can't tell the man of my life that loves me so much. He, I can't tell him this. She says it's on the phone, that phone thing. Can't tell him. You can just see it. He's yeah. never going to accept it. She's afraid. And then he comes, and though it's the man, and you sense she loves him. She desires him. But when he says he's coming, it's like, oh, no. I have to. It's going to be such hard work. He's going to come with his big love and his strength of the living. With your cinematographer, is it a similar thing where you kind of plan everything out? Do you have references, or do you just get to set work it out how, how what kind of discussions were you having before there's such a naturalistic feel what is the what is the discussion with the cinematographer like is it 
is it very planned or is it kind of yeah no it's very very planned um making a film it's not like a painter or a novelist it is collaboration of course uh it's my vision my idea in the beginning and then i take very 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 talented people in the in their field i am not a cinematographer i'm definitely not very a technical person i'm not an editor could never edit and i can't um, i'm not a set designer at all so i choose people who i feel and seeing their previous work they 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 are extremely sensitive and talented and then i i really try to feed them tell them what I, what my visions are and then i hear what they have to say i love being uh inspired by them that's the word because then they come with their extreme talent in their field uh which i don't have it's a it's really being a director is it's through words through physicality through things maybe that you show them through films we watch together mm-hmm. you try to inspire them the more people really get what you want and feel um also um inspired and feel alive uh and also really into doing it mm-hmm. i love that yeah the more this amazing creative energy arrives i think the last thing that we wanted to talk about was the the final sex scene which um apparently has been credited as one of the best sex scenes in recent cinematic history but how do you write a scene like that i had definitely um um written that scene very very not like uh they both make love dot because it's about elen doing this to match you it's her perspective it's her as a sick woman waking up after having had a huge crisis and seeing the man she loves sleeping and desiring him and because very often people think that sick people don't have erotic desires which is rubbish what's it like when you feel maybe this is the last time I'll ever make love to him <gasps> what is that like the last time caressing his back caressing his bum smelling him and then i was thinking as a couple for him when he wakes and he wakes sexually and he uh and what's so special about the scene is that finally after 2 hours of film matthieu has accepted what she wants has accepted her choice to stay in Norway alone for the time she needs to die he's accepted it so they are in the moment without any other thoughts of i'm going to try to get her again to convince her that he accepted it and he's in that moment with her and it's the first time in the film and i would even say probably the first time in their whole um relationship that they are one that they're on the same wavelength and somebody an audience member once told me in that scene they breathe the same breath ils respirent le même souffle so beautiful especially for somebody who cannot breathe anymore so if you think about 
wanting, if you think about this might be the last time I make love to the person I love, then you're going to try to make it as long as possible. And you're going to try to, as a man, not come as long as possible, because then it's pretty much finished. It's the pre. It's it's everything, you know, you want to, it's really trying to, to savor the moment. Savor. Yeah. yeah. It's total sensuality. It's the senses. Savor it with every five senses you have and as slowly as possible, which is wonderful because she needs to be slow and he lets her be slow. And when she has, again, a bit problems to breathe, he doesn't rush her. Yeah. He doesn't block her, her uh, libido, her the fact that she wants, he let, he come for the, very different than the first love scene that's a yeah. disaster and humiliating for her in the beginning of the film. He lets her be, he caresses her while she tries to grasp and get her breath back, which she does. And then they, they, they continue. This, the physical expression of their love, it was so beautiful um, and it wasn't easy. It was like 15, minute scene we just filmed in this cabin uh with uh, eve cap my dp me and the and the boom operator us three vicky and gaspar and uh we did it three times uh three times 15 minutes yeah 45 minutes wow. for them and i knew and it's not easy it is i mean they were in such a but of course when i says let's do it again but I knew I needed it because I knew I was going to cut it, but I knew, you know, I can't just say one and then, okay, of course it's not, it's, it, it, it's not easy to get back when you say cut into that bubble. It was and a bubble where they've totally forget us. They, there was such confidence, such trust. Between, it was just that cabin was trust. They had trust in each other totally. They were very close. They had trust in me. They had trust in Eve. They had trust in Emmanuel, who was the boom operator. And uh, we were there. And sometimes I would move the DP Eve, move him slightly. So he would do that. Sometimes, very rarely, I would say, Gaspar, do this. Or, you know, I would talk very slightly. And the rest just let them groove, flow, let it flow. It was incredible. It was incredible. But Vicky, I remember saying to me afterwards, I have never done something like this. And I don't know if I'm going to, if I'll do it again. And not in a, she was amazed. She was in amazement. More like, uh, and you see it. And how free she felt or how, what was amazing? What do you think that she meant by that? That that, two things, I think how free she felt and how far they went, you know, how far she went, how... Yeah, how she was totally in it, like, and forgetting everything else. Just talking about the sex scene before, and I, what came to mind is that quote, the Susan Sontag one, about how sometimes things can only be said in silence between two people. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was important in that scene that they could only... Because you talk about them for the first time being on the same path and uniting in that way. Do you feel that's the only way you could have 
said that in the film. Definitely. That's really beautiful. That's yeah. definitely. And even the scene afterwards when they have breakfast mm. and they just share an apple. What is there to say mm. when you understand each other? Mm. What is there to say? Words are just too small. Mm. Even the biggest poet. What is there to say in something so existential then? We will part now. And I respect your choice. Though it kills me, I will let you go. Though it kills me to let you go, thank you for respecting my choice. Hard, but beautiful. Uh, and I think what words could they say that? I think also a lot in this film is about the physicality. They say so much through just the general yeah. heaviness. Yeah of their bodies or the lightness in in their you know yeah. in their love making yeah uh, or in the way she gives him the apple the way he takes it or in the car the way they just mm. hold hands yeah i think that's it, emancipation yeah 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 super you're gonna have to send me that quote Oh, oh yeah, so that. it's okay. so beautiful. I love it's, it that we have a Susan Zontag quote. 